Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got another great episode for you. On this week's episode, we will be recapping week one of the NFL. Uh, we will talk about uh, our one of our favorite places, gambling Twitter. But first, we're going to talk about a new study that just came out, new survey um, this is breaking news. Sports betting is extremely popular uh, in in this in this country, uh, with NFL being the king of of that sports betting. Um, new survey from the American Gaming Association said last week that 46 million Americans plan to bet on the NFL this season. That's actually up three percent from from last year. Uh, in addition, up until this point, more than 50 billion dollars has been wagered with American sports books so far in 2022. Luke, I ask you, is that number actually smaller or bigger than you would have thought? $50 billion in all sports or just NFL? So it's actually $50 billion so far this year, like before we even head into the NFL season. So that number is surely going to go up, obviously, uh, when we when we reach the end of the year. But $50 billion wagered so far legally in the country uh, year to date. I'm, I'm probably okay with that number. Like, you know, the, the offshore market is just so, so gargantuan still. And, you know, in my opinion, it's... 20x that you know bet offshore um so i think 50 billion legally that's that's a that's pretty if you were to force gun to my head ask me i i would have said probably 60 to 75 so i'm I'm okay with 50 yeah and so uh for those that don't know we are up to about 31 states including dc and, and puerto rico in terms of states that have legalized sports betting uh, and coming on later this year will be Massachusetts, which will be a major market, as well as Ohio, uh, which will also be another massive market. But the kind of the three uh, gorillas, elephants in the room, if you will, are Florida, Texas, and then, of course, California, which is going to be on the ballot this November about whether or not they're going to legalize sports betting state of 40 million people. Um, I think we I think when that gets closer, maybe we'll do a little breakdown of of what those the, what those ballot questions are, are going to involve and, and who supports uh, which one. But you mentioned uh, offshore sports books and, and bookies. Another stat from this survey, which I'm going to have to disagree with, is that 13 percent a better say that they will use an unlicensed bookmaker this NFL season, uh, which is a 2% decrease from last year. Uh, I'm going to take the over on, on that 13%. Again, you have to realize these are people who are choosing to answer a survey, and typically people, even if it's anonymous, don't like to uh, say that they're, they're, they're breaking the law, or in this case, you know, dealing with someone who's breaking the law uh, on, on a survey willingly. So what would you say, over or under 13%? over by two and a half x that is similar to asking people do you use illegal drugs like it is i give the analogy of trying to assess the illegal sports betting market is like trying to assess the cocaine market 
in this country, you can't do it. <laughs> I, I wish you luck in assessing how large of a market it is. Nobody is going to give you a straight answer. The vast, vast minority of people are going to give you a straight answer. The vast majority of people are not going to give you what they're actually doing when it comes to illegal activity because why would you want to put that on paper when you're getting asked by someone if you bet on sports illegally so no way way over um you know, i'll give you a, an example living in new jersey the most mature sports betting state in america now you know next to nevada and we all know how difficult nevada bookmakers make it to bet on sports on your phone, it's they, they make you jump through hoops. But in New Jersey, it's very, very easy. You sit on your couch, you have your credit card. It takes you about, you know, ninety seconds to sign up for an app, and as long as you have a visa, you're you're good to go to bet on sports in New Jersey. Let's say I had you know a hundred buddies out there that bet on sports. I'd say forty of them still bet illegally. So forty percent of my circle are are still betting with a bookie in New York City or Philly. Um, you know. If you're buying a big city, you typically are able to have a bookie that you can settle up with. And then obviously offshore, you can still bet a ton of websites offshore. So way, way over 13%. Um, so, and, and why, why, why would you say that is? So why, why would someone who's got access to 25 different sports books, super easy to sign up and, and use a credit card, why are these guys still betting with a, with a, with a bookie? Taxes and you know uh, ability to not have to pay taxes, um, comfort, just plain comfort. They can text their their bookie. They they just get people just get in the rhythm of of life and sports betting is no different. You just get in the rhythm of things and changes is difficult. Um, and then uh, credit, of course, you know credit. You can you can just sit on your couch and fire a f- seven leg parlay. Don't have to put any money up. Bet a hundred bucks. Bet five hundred bucks, and don't have to put any money up front. And obviously, with with the sports betting apps, you have to put money up front. You can't bet on credit with sports betting apps. And I'll and we can talk later on a future episode about startups trying to solve that. That's super interesting to me. I think if whoever can figure out the credit part of American sports betting and legally, obviously, that's a, a really interesting space to be in. Yeah. So, and for those who don't know what what credit is, uh, it essentially allows you to bet uh, without having to put up the money first. So, if you ever been in, in Vegas um, and you want to make a sports bet, you gotta ha- you gotta have the cash on you to to pony up first, right? And so you bet one hundred ten dollars, uh, and then if it wins, you will get back that one hundred ten plus the hundred that you won. So you'll get back two hundred and ten. But with a bookie betting on credit, you can say. Basically, I want to bet this team, and if it wins, I'm gonna, I'm I'm owed 100. But if they lose, then I'll owe you 110, and we'll settle up at the end of the week or maybe end of the month. And so it uh, it allows you to um, to make bets without having to have the cash handy, uh, and. It, it also encourages people to start what we call chasing, which is if you start losing some bets, you can then say, "Okay, uh, I need to dig myself out of this hole, um, and I'm just I'm going to just try and you know make more bets to try and get back to even." Which, uh, as we all know, that can dig yourself dig yourself into an even a bigger hole uh, when you do that. So uh, definitely not uh, a healthy way to do it, but it's definitely. 
you, you know, it, it has its advantages if, if you don't want to put up, put up the money uh, first. Um, but once you've made the bet, then where, where do you go after that? And there was an interesting article uh, released last week by our friend David Purdom from ESPN uh, who talked about gambling Twitter. Um, if you're not familiar, uh, it's basically a niche of people on the, the platform Twitter uh, that, you know, it has its good parts and its bad parts. Um, the, the good parts is it's a great place to find out information about players, right? Whether they're starting or sitting, are they injured, are they healthy? Um, and the article kind of goes into actually how uh, in, his, in Twitter's early stages, it was a huge advantage uh, for sports bettors and for bookmakers um, to get access to, you know, a beat writer who, you know, just basically is in the locker room and is tweeting out, you know, uh, Andrew Luck is hurt. He's not going to play this week, right? And in normal times, you wouldn't see that until it hit, hits the next day's papers or maybe, you know, on that night's sports center. But if a guy's in the locker room tweeting that out, it, that's, that's extremely valuable information. Um, and then once the game starts and, you know, you've got a bet and you're sweating it or, or you're watching a big game um, and you want to kind of see what other people are talking about or you notice something funny or interesting that happened on the telecast and you say, I wonder if anyone else noticed that. And you can kind of go to Twitter. Uh, that That's a fun place to be. Uh, on the flip side, there's kind of the underbelly of gambling Twitter, which are the people selling their picks, uh, saying that they've got inside information on a game uh, that they'll they'll you know divulge you for fifty dollars, which is you know is trust you know uh, if someone says they have inside information, they are not selling it for fifty dollars. Let me let me just t- tell you that. So um, uh, one interest, interesting stat is that sixty two percent of betters on Twitter place wagers weekly and spend fifteen percent more compared to betters on other social media platforms. Uh, and then 65% said that they are motivated to place a bet on a big event that everyone else is talking about on social media. Uh, and so, Luke, I would ask you, do you, do you agree with that? Is, would, if, are you more likely to place a bet because people are talking about it on Twitter? I would say yes. A very, very small percentage increase of likelihood to, okay, Johnny, the handicapper and... Sally, the barstool personality, are going back and forth about it. Like, very, very small likelihood. But I agree that the more you hear about an event, the more enticing it is to bet. Obviously, the Super Bowl being the best example of that. Everyone's talking about it. You know, you have 14 days to hype it up. You got to pick a side for the Super Bowl, whether, you know, it's one bet on the side or all the hundreds of, you know, if not thousands of other bets you can now make and all the props and all that. So I, I understand the logic that if you hear more about an event, whether it's on Twitter or on ESPN or on TV, you'll be more inclined to make a bet on it. I get that. Um, and yeah, and, and there's no doubt like fantasy football is just the best way to measure how engaged people are when they have money on it or whether, you know, their friends are involved. Like you look at a bar, I, I still just find this hysterical, like. You look at a bar in NFL Sunday, and I'd say the, the majority of people are playing fancy football. Let's say like 80% are playing fancy football. Let's say like 20% are actually making a sports bet on it, You know, give or take each of those numbers. But on the 80% of people that are playing fancy football, they're losing their minds over their fancy football matchups, and it's $3 a week if we assume 
a $50 buy-in for the season. Divide that by 18 weeks, it's like th- less than $3. And people are literally losing their minds on NFL Sunday and, and you know on Monday Night Football and Thursday Night Football, more so Monday because the, the week is ending, um, it's over 3 bucks. So yes, if you... If you if it's social and other people are doing it, you're more engaged to make a bet. And then obviously, if you keep reading about it, you're more engaged to make a bet. And just tying that into does does engagement make you care more about the game? Of course, of course it does. And and you know, Adam Silver was the first commissioner to figure that out in all of sports. And then Roger Goodell is is no no uh, uh, amateur to that. I, I met. Um, this guy, Ed Barkowitz of the Philadelphia Inquirer, we, we became friends when I used to live in New Jersey, and he talked about in the early days of fancy football, the NFL would withhold statistics from these guys. Like they had a, you know, it was like late 80s, I want to say, is when fancy football kind of first started taking hold. And they were asking the NFL, like, hey, can you help us with statistics? Like, we'll pay you for the stats. We just need like a feed of statistics so we can start to grade these fancy football matchups. So it's like very paper intensive to do this. Like, can you help us out? Like, here's the data showing all of the people that are playing fancy football are way more engaged to your product. And the NFL was really abrasive for years and would not help them out at all. And it just shows how short sighted some of these commissioners can be like, yes, obviously if people are like having a roster versus another person's roster, like, yeah, they're obviously going to watch every game and be obsessed with, you know, the Seahawks Broncos game when Geno Smith is playing quarterback. But outside of fantasy football, like I, I'm in the industry, and I'm not sure I would watch the Seahawks Broncos game. Like, if you're not in the industry, why do you? Why are you watching that football game unless you have a fantasy football matchup on it? Yeah. So a uh, cu- couple things there. Uh, one, I mean, you don't have to tell tell me about you know NFL, um, you know lying basically about why they don't want to do something and at the end of the day it's all because of money and the they want to protect their intellectual property quote unquote and you know only they can make money off of their ip uh and so i mean they had that ridiculous year where um they would allow teams to tweet out uh video highlights right so a guy on the commanders you know scores a touchdown uh they want to put out that clip to their fans there was a year there where the nfl was saying you can't do that only the NFL account can can post clips, right? And this is at the same time while the NBA is basically encouraging everyone to put out put out these clips, right? And so finally, I think after one failed year of that experiment, the NFL went back to saying, "Okay, like teams, yeah, teams, you can you can go back to to putting out these clips because they realize, look, in, you know, the the more the the more engagement, the better." Um, yeah, and at, at, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you're just going to close loop and like only if you're watching a, a set top box, are you able to like get engaged with the sport? Like how short sighted and how small, how small world of thinking are you to not like be spreading the sport of football to as many possible human beings as you can? Like that is how you increase attention to the sport. If I'm sitting on my couch and I may not have cable and I've never heard of football and you're saying oh no no only the crest can explain football to someone or show you a highlight of football like you're an idiot (laughs) obviously you should allow as many people as possible to analyze your sport and and see highlights of your sport 
Yeah, and look, maybe they were trying to help out their broadcast partners because I will say this: I think I think that the the amount of clips you can see on Twitter has completely killed SportsCenter. I mean, there's no reason to go to SportsCenter anymore to see the top ten play. I used to watch the top ten plays religiously every night, but you don't even need that. You go to Twitter and you already know what the best play of the of the night was. You know who won each game, uh, and so. But look. Things change, and so yes, that was, I'm sure that was that you know that, those were the gravy train days for for ESPN and and you know Fox and CBS when you had to watch their post game show to fi- to find out what happened and and uh, you know what what plays. But guess what? Times change, and and you know adapt or die. Um, but the other point you mentioned was was uh, about going to a sports bar and, and watching people freak out. Um, it's funny in this David Purdom article. Uh, a representative from Twitter said, he goes, uh, quote, Twitter has been referred to as the world's largest sports bar, uh, which I completely agree with because, you know, if, if you're sitting at home alone, but you want to feel like you're at a bar, you know, you know, hanging with fans, you go to Twitter. You don't go to Facebook. You don't go to Instagram. You don't really go to TikTok. Like Twitter is the place where you can see people make jokes or, you know, kind of comment on, on, on things. And so, um, I, I do think, you know, Twitter, um, does allow for that. It, it is it is the world's the world sports bar, um, but like I said, it's it's good and bad. Um, so one one kind of uh, recent thing that happened: uh, the U.S. Open tennis match uh, or ten- tennis tournament uh, uh, finished on Sunday, and last week uh, Nick Kyrgios, uh, this Australian tennis player, um, was the the fi- the betting favorite in the quarterfinals. Um, because you know he had and he had just lost in the final to Novak Djokovic in, at Wimbledon. Um, Nadal was out. Djokovic wasn't playing in the U.S. Open uh, due to vac- vaccine uh, rules, uh, and essentially he he had become the favorite. Uh, and he is a very polarizing uh, person. Uh, if you've never seen him play before, he will yell at the the, the umpire. He will be yelling at his 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 people in his box. Um, and for whatever reason, I think that just gets him motivated. He, he doesn't have a coach because he has said that, look, if no one is going to, if, if he doesn't want to practice his serve, then he's not going to practice his serve. If he doesn't pack, practice his backhand, then he's not going to practice his backhand. Like he doesn't need a coach to kind of motivate him. So he's, he's definitely a unique character uh, and a very passionate one at that. And so he, he lost in a kind of a heartbreaking five set match uh, last week in the quarterfinals. And after the match, uh, there's video of him smashing his racket uh, in frustration after the match. And I tweeted out a clip of this video uh, in kind of a sarcastic way. I said, uh, Nick Kyrgios restringing his racket after the match. Uh, and by restringing, I meant he was disassembling his racket. And this tweet caught like wildfire uh, because, again, he was very polarizing and people wanted to kind of see his reaction after the match uh in less than 24 hours this tweet got over two million impressions uh and this may be more of a tennis twitter thing than a gambling twitter thing but you would have thought that nick curio stabbed a guy after the match because people were so ticked off and you know talking about how he's disrespecting the game and he's you know a sore loser and say look the guy just lost a five-set match in something that he 
probably thought he was going to win. He was disappointed. Uh, he let out his frustration. Maybe he could have done a better way. But, um, you know, I would encourage you to go to uh, our Prop Swap's Twitter and you can find this tweet from last week. It got over, you know, a couple thousand quote tweets uh, and people's reactions were, they were livid. Uh, and so, again, uh, I think this goes back to Twitter, you know, gl- a global platform of people being able to kind of voice their opinions all on, on, on one thing. Yeah, I, I'm obsessed with Twitter. I On a financial side, I just think they completely missed the boat. Um, you look at the trajectory of Facebook and Twitter, like Twitter's market cap is, I think it was around like $20 billion this year. You know, Facebook's was over a trillion dollars. And I just felt like I'm at, this is back in 20, 2010, 2011. I'm like, I'm accessing Twitter 20 times a day. I'm tweeting five or six times a day. Facebook, I'm accessing like every four days. I have I have no um, recurring need to access Facebook in 2011, graduating from college. And I just thought that Twitter was going to be sitting on this giant pile of information with so many reasons to access Twitter. It's chronological. So back to the, the guy's quote about saying we're America's sports bar. That's totally right. That's true in 2022. It's true in 2010. And they just didn't figure out how to monetize their user base nearly as well as Facebook has. Facebook's obviously crushed it in terms of selling ads to their users. And now they've clearly seen the end of that model and pivoting to the metaverse. But the point is Twitter has been at this for you know 10 plus years and they're, they're still great at it. And I don't see it going away for being a, the, the biggest sports bar in the world for all these different sporting events, you know, listening to Chris Collinsworth on Sunday night, I thought he was going to keel over and die in the booth. And I was checking Twitter to be like, is anyone else having the same opinion that I am? Cause he does not sound well. Um, so, you know, just a, another example of how timely, s- timely sporting events are perfect for the Twitterverse. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, you, you mentioned about the Twitter's revenue and, and kind of lack of business model. Uh, there was a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. I, I forget what year, but uh, Facebook explored buying Twitter. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Mark Zuckerberg had a quote saying, uh, Twitter is like a clown car that backed into a money pit or it took a gold mine. Um, so the kind of struck gold, but really just did not know how to uh, financially capture yeah, that. Still don't still don't they. Uh, yeah. I mean, clearly the fact that one person can buy the company, Elon Musk is able to buy the company. Now Grandy at the time was the richest person in the world. So um, small, uh, small credit to him for, for, you know, being an individual who can buy a massive company, but yeah, Twitter just never fulfilled the potential. But I, I think it will it will be here to stay for a while. There's there's some other sports betting startups. Uh, you know, shout out BetSports, friend of ours, Reed Rooney runs that. He's trying to basically be Twitter for for sports betting. So there's companies that are trying to just siphon off sports betting events and kind of be the place. But Twitter just has so much scale. It's you know, I want to see what. The Wall Street Journal is saying, plus Mike Tirico, plus ESPN, plus sports betting, you know, industry people. So, um, but yeah, great tool, awesome, very humorous for for finding out others' opinions during sporting events and uh, this Twitter poll talking about the link between sports betting and Twitter. I I agree with. Yep. All right, so time to move on. 
uh, week one of the NFL uh, officially in the books. Um, what were some of your uh, takeaways from from the first week of the NFL? Oh, gosh, a, a lot. Um, I'll start locally. Uh, the Chicago Bears. What a win for the Bears. I am stunned. It was amazing. I have a, a group chat with all my high school buddies from Chicago. We were at, at halftime. We're like, if the weather was normal and they weren't playing in a swimming pool, what would the score be? And we were like 31-0, 24-0 Niners over the Bears. Like, absolute rout. The Bears had like 80 yards of offense at the half. It was There were two teams at that point who hadn't scored a point during that NFL Sunday, it was New England and Chicago. And the Bears just couldn't put anything together. And then all of a sudden, Dante Pettis breaks. Let's like all, the San Francisco defense just moved to completely one other side of the field. And then Pettis just ran free for a touchdown. And the Bears just sneak one from the Super Bowl aspiration, San Francisco 49ers. Defense looked good. Justin Fields still didn't look that great, but. Um, you know, wins a win in the league. So, uh, incredible win by the Bears. Uh, neighbor up north, Green Bay looked terrible. I'm not, I'm not ready to jump off the Green Bay train. Like this kind of happens every year, where Aaron Rodgers takes time to build rapport with these new group of receivers. So, um, I was more impressed by Kevin O'Connell's usage of his receivers. Of course, Justin Jefferson is one of the best receivers in the league. He had an incredible day. It's a very impressive win by the Vikings. Um, And then we can get into the uh, NFC East. Let's say the NFC East for last. And then the the Dolphins. Um, (laughs) New England sure has an issue in Miami, huh? They just, they don't know how to win games in South Florida. So um, great win by four in a row for for Miami, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, You know, new head coach, rookie head coach, big win for him. Um, uh, and then lastly, um, yeah, we'll, I was going to talk about Peterson and Jacksonville, but we'll save the NFCs for last. So, uh, how about yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, week one, you, you always kind of want to overreact, but then you got to remind yourself that it's just one week. Like you mentioned, uh, last season, the Packers looked terrible in week one, uh, losing to the Saints. It was, I think it was a, it was a hurricane moved, yeah. uh, relocated game. Um, but they looked terrible. I think he, th- and then I think he threw like four interceptions. Aaron Rodgers did in that first game and then like two of the rest of the season. Uh, and so as much as I kind of want to say, uh, you know, Vikings are the new favorite to win the NFC North, I'm, I'm gonna hold off on that. I, I, I almost threw the Packers in my, my, my staker swap, but I didn't, uh, I'll, I'll hold off on, on that. Um, but I, I gotta say, I, I kind of like the Vikings heading into this season. They were their odds moved um, hugely in their favor from fifty to one at twenty four to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, my, my Eagles that I talked about last week, uh, they were a big mover, uh, forty to one down to twelve to one. Um, but I, I you know the fact that they gave up so many points to the Lions kind of makes me nervous. Uh, and so we'll uh, we'll get into that in a second with the NFC East, but. Um, yeah, my I would say my big thing is, and and then the other team that we talked about last week was the Cardinals. Uh, I I was I was 
swapping the Cardinals all day, and I think week one proved that. Uh, they, they do not look good. That defense is legitimately bad. Um, the... the the head coach from the the documentary Last Chance You uh, was on Twitter last night, kind of breaking down this this uh, play where Kyler Murray did not pick up the blitz and did not have like a hot route uh, receiver uh, and just and and he was like that's all film study and I know we talked about it last week. Um, there's a reason why they had to put in that that film study clause. So um, yeah, I would say that you know week one was was uh, pretty positive in terms of some of the the things I was coming uh, coming into, but. Where I'm, I'm going to hold off on on some of the overreactions, uh, which brings us to our weekly segment: stake or swap. First up on stake or swap, we are going to be talking about the Washington Commanders. Uh, currently, you. They are anywhere from fifty to one to 70, 70 to one right now to to win the Super Bowl. Uh, their odds uh, dropped after uh, a Week One victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That final score of twenty eight to twenty two. Um, Luke, are you staking or swapping the Washington Commanders? I'm going to swap the Washington Commanders. So they they're around fifty to one right now. I, look, do I think this team has around a one in third, like a true odds of like a one in 32 shot to win the championship this year? That sounds about right. I'd say they're a little bit worse than, you know, one in 32 shots. So say like the true odds are around 40 to one. If they really continue to win a bunch of games this year and finish the season at like 10 and seven, I still think their odds should be around 40 to one, assuming a really good rest of the season. And, you know, most importantly, this team beat the Jaguars. Like, let's 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 assess who the team's opponent is in your success. And they still didn't even look that good. They almost lost to uh, a James Robinson, who I do like James Robinson. He went to Illinois State. So uh, he, had a, he had a great fancy um, weekend this weekend to James Robinson. But, um, you know, they almost lost this game. So let's let's factor in who they're playing. Um, Carson Wentz looked nice. No one needs to convince me that Terry McLaurin is one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's incredible, but I have concerns about their defense. Their offensive line isn't great. And I just, now the, the only counterpoint to their success is Dallas looked horrendous and Dallas seems like they're going to be without a quarterback for, I, I don't know how you come back on your throwing hand quicker than like six weeks. So I, if it's his non-throwing hand, fine. You come back in, in three, maybe even sooner. But on your throwing hand, I don't see how Dak Prescott comes back earlier than a month and a half. So your divisional rival is is without their starting quarterback. Even with even with that, they they barely move the ball. So um, and and Tampa, Tampa's defense is good, but it's not world beaters. So Dallas looked terrible, even with Dak. Take Dak out of the mix for six weeks. They're going to be in trouble. That'd be the only counterpoint to the commanders. But, yeah, my point is it's the Jaguars. They almost lost. Offensive line still isn't there. And, yeah, and 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 I believe in the Eagles more than, than the commanders. Yeah, so I'm going to stake the commanders. Now, I'm not saying that I think the commanders are, are going to make some championship run. I'm just saying I think it's a little too premature 
to swap the commanders. And I think, uh, and, I'll, and I'll break down their upcoming schedule in a little bit. I, I think you can actually, there's still some room for them to grow. I realized that the just, that they beat the Jaguars, who were the worst team in the NFL last season. Uh, I'm, I'm completely aware of that. Uh, Carson went through some horrendous interceptions, uh, including on this screen pass that you know was almost taken back for a touchdown the other way. Um, and I would say, and those turnovers were the reason why the game was so close. Uh, the Commanders were extremely efficient on third down. I, I love uh, teams that are good on uh, third down. They were seven of ten third down efficiency versus Jacksonville's uh, three for 12. Uh, they were, uh, they were disciplined. Only six penalties uh, called on the commanders versus 13 call, called on the Jaguars. I think those are things that can translate uh, into, into success down the road. Um, you mentioned Terry McLaurin, who's super talented, but the commanders have this rookie wide receiver that I think could be a, a superstar. Uh, Jahan Dotson, he scored two touchdowns um, out of Penn state. And you mentioned the the division. Uh, you know, it, the the division went from bad to worse uh, with with uh, Dak Prescott going out. So uh, here are their next uh, couple of games. Uh, they are at Detroit coming up, which where they are only a one and a half point underdog. That's a coin flip game. I could easily see them winning that game. I'm not going to say that Detroit's you know gonna gonna hold uh, you know hold court there. Home against the Eagles at Dallas. Home against the Titans, which. You know the Titans really blew that game, and I think the Titans are they are a long cry away from being the number one seed in the AFC again this year. They really should have won that game against the Giants, but um, they, they they blew it against an inferior team at the Bears. Um, and you know then it gets a little tougher after that. So that's the next five games. I could easily see them winning four or, or three of the, those next five games and, and being above five hundred. Um, and I think there's still some some room for for those odds to grow. Like you said, they're fifty to one now. Uh, if they go four and if they go four and one over the next uh, five games, I could see those odds dropping down to twenty five to one. Um, so uh, I am staking the Commanders uh, just for the next five weeks. The next team we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to switch away from uh, NFL and talk a little college football. Uh, It was another exciting Saturday. Uh, And this week, I am going to swap the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, They should have lost to Texas. Uh, If you didn't watch that game, um, Texas was super jacked up for that game. I know it was hot. It was hostile. Um, But there was a play uh, in the second half where uh, actually it might have been the, might have been the second quarter, but there was a play where that should have been called a safety uh, where uh, Bryce Young got sacked in the end zone. Instead, they called it roughing the passer, which was then overruled. But then because the overruled that roughing the passer, they didn't the they should have called intentional grounding in the end zone, right? It should have been safety. Uh, the and the Texas end up losing by one point, right? So that, those two points came back to to, to bite them, uh, and that really should have been a game that they won. Uh, Texas's starting quarterback got hurt uh, at the end of the first quarter. So for three quarters, Texas w- was without their starting quarterback. The backup was horrendous, and these the two teams still had equal amount of yards. Uh, and and the the Alabama penalties racked up. I mean, this is just not. I don't think your your normal Alabama team with that quarterback going out. These should have absolutely crushed him uh, over the next three quarters. But I think it really all comes down to the fact that Alabama does not have the playmakers at wide receiver that they've had in the past. Uh, in years past, they've got, you know, like last year, the you know, wide receiver John Mechie uh, and Jamison Williams. And these were guys that you, you, 
you just get them the ball on a five yard on a five yard slant and they're gone in open space. Like you just they just need the smallest amount of daylight to turn a, a five yard pass into a sixty yard touchdown. And they just do not have those guys this year. And it's all gonna come down to Bryce Young, basically as as Steve Sarkeesian called him, a Houdini. I mean Alabama had to come down the field to kick the game-winning field goal, and it was thanks in part to Bryce Young just making incredible plays with his feet, scrambling uh, and and uh, you know finding someone uh, open or just running for it. So um, this is not your typical Alabama team with those playmakers, and they struggled at Texas this past week. But look, they've got three tough road games still on their schedule. They are at number ten Arkansas. They are at number fifteen Tennessee. And they are at number 20 Ole Miss. Those are three games where those teams are going to get up for those games. The crowd's going to be wild. Uh, and it's not just me. Ozmakers have taken notice as well. Um, Alabama has now dropped from the favorite to the second favorite uh, behind Georgia to win the national championship. So if you're holding an Alabama futures ticket, I would sell that um, as soon as you can. Uh, and at least just try and break even on that. Completely agree. I will also swap the Alabama Crimson Tide. Two to one odds is what their number is right now. I could not disagree with that more. Horrible showing on Saturday. Um, speaking of which, quick side note in terms of talking about Alabama's wide receivers, I didn't realize that uh, Mechie, John Mechie, is, has uh, leukemia and he's not playing this entire year. I had no idea. Very sad. Um, so hopefully he... Uh, heals up and can um, you know go through a mission and get that uh, get healthy and get back in the field because yeah he was amazing obviously last year and to your point they are very short on wide receivers at Alabama but yeah two to one odds is a joke for this team like that is such bias like there's such bias in college football with the um, with like the polling like I don't understand how you look that poor on a college football Saturday to an unranked Texas team and you're still two to one odds like that makes zero sense to me every game is a is a resume builder and if you fail you know nearly fail a test that poorly I have no idea why they're still two to one so that's garbage um they have a ton of issues their offensive line didn't look that good the uh, to your point the receivers didn't look good so yeah also swapping Alabama at two to one odds. That's just ridiculous. So um, yeah, they they have a lot of work to do. Bryce Young, Bryce Young is amazing. He he could literally win the Heisman again if he was surrounded by anything. That play he that touchdown he threw the the you know quote unquote game winning touchdown on was was incredible. He's he's a stud. But outside of him, they have some problems. Yeah, and look, yeah, I I realize that. Um, you know, they can still get to the playoff uh, with one loss, right? Uh, and anything can happen once you get in the playoff. But if these slip up in one of these regular season games and then have to win the SEC championship against Georgia, um, I, I think you're, 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 they're going to be on the outside looking in. So um, my, 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 my prediction is that they will slip up somewhere along the road here in the regular season. They just do not have the amount of talent to play a bad game and still win. Um, and, uh, and then, I mean, Georgia looks 
you know, every bit as good as they were uh, last year as well. So, uh, you know, they would definitely be an underdog in the SEC championship game. So I agree. Even though, you know, you're not going to make a profit on it, I would just try and get out uh, as quickly as can if, if you're holding an, an Alabama ticket. Uh, and I would start to look at other long shots, right? If Alabama's out, that means that's going to open up a spot for a USC or a Tennessee or, a, you know, a Florida mm-hmm. um, there, there will be other spots uh, to be had in, in the SEC, and it ain't going to be Texas A and M. I'll tell you that because uh, after the after their uh, depressing loss to Appalachian State, but um, yeah, so I think uh, we are in store for a very exciting college football season. Uh, every Saturday has been uh, come down the wire, upsets, uh, buzzer beaters. So um, once again, I think uh, this fall will be uh, will will be an exciting time. Um, so that will do it for this week's episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week.